Hey, Bankless Nation, welcome to another State of the Nation episode. We've got a fantastic episode here for you. Look, something we thought they said was years away, apparently has just come to Ethereum. This is a key cornerstone in the, the, the efforts to scale Ethereum into the future, and that is a Z, ZK EVM compatible rollup. We're going to be talking about that today. David, who do we have on the show today to speak about that? Yeah, we have Alex, the co-founder, CEO of Matter Labs, uh, who is the team behind ZK Sync uh, and ZK EVMs. Uh, what we're talking about today are ZK rollups, uh, especially in the last year of 2021 of Ethereum. Uh, that video of Vitalik talking about how the Internet of Money needs to cost five cents has been a source of comedy for everyone who pointing at how high Ethereum's gas fees are. Well, when Vitalik made that comment about how the internet of money needs to be five cents, he's talking about ZK rollups. He's talking about the ZK EVM. Uh, and as of very recently, the ZK Sync team, the Matter Labs team, has been able to put a ZK EVM on a test net, which means we have a ZK EVM ready to go. We just got to test it out first. Uh, and so we're, <laughs> going to, we're going to ask Alex about all of these questions that we have as what's left in this roadmap. What can people do now? When is this going to be ready for users? And of course, the obvious and most fun question, when token? Uh, <laughs> and just a few more conversations of that nature. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an incredibly important subject, particularly this year. This is the the year. It's a um, you know proof year for Ethereum scalability approach. We're also going to be talking about probably toward the end of the episode, maybe at the front too, about Ukraine. Understand many of the um, the Matter Labs team is actually located in Ukraine. Alex himself was born in Ukraine. I think crypto has a story to tell and a role to play there. So we'll be talking about that, David. Before we get into the episode, though. We've got a special PSA from our friends at Opolis. All right. Opolis is awesome, like straight up awesome. If you want to become a self sovereign Web3 worker, you got to check out Opolis. What does it do, David? Opolis is a DAO that helps people work for other DAOs. It's a DAO that supports the DAOs. Uh, and so um, a lot of people uh, would love to work in Web3, would love to be a self-sovereign worker, but we still haven't figured out things like healthcare and benefits and payroll and taxes and all that stuff. Uh, and Opolis is bridging the world of traditional employee benefits to people that work for a DAO. So it's like a health, it's like a employee infrastructure collective. Uh, and so we all get to share our resources that we need in order to live a self-sovereign life when it comes to our employment, but also still get all the benefits that we need to make sure that our risk, our personal risk, our healthcare risk, family risk, all that stuff is taken care of. Uh, so you can actually sign, if you sign up for Opolis before, I believe, March 1st, uh, which is, you know, got, you got some time, but not too much time. You actually get a bonus of a thousand work tokens, which is the Opolis DAO token and a thousand bank tokens out of the bankless DAO. Uh, oh, May, May 1st, excuse me, May 1st, even more time. Uh, so if you are trying to get into the world of Web3, if you are listening to Ryan and I yell at you every single weekly roll up <laughs> about getting a job, uh, the Opolis might make this life easier, this transition easier for you. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I resisted becoming a... Um a you know, self-employed individual for a number of years just because I got health care insurance, health insurance through my my corporate employer, and I couldn't let that go. But Opolis provides an awesome off-ramp to that. They give you health insurance, take care of your benefits, all the messy stuff. So go check that out, guys. All right, David, um, got to start with the question I always ask you in these State of the Nation episodes, which is this. What is the state of the nation today? Around the state of the nation is we are getting synced 
We're talking with the ZK Sync, and we're getting synced with ZK Sync. I really wanted to do like a, a, a that's zip. Synced, that's synced, not sunk, right? Synced, yes, yeah, not sunk. I really wanted to do like a zip metaphor because for some reason, ZK Sync uh, and ZKs always feels like very zippy to me. Fast. But I couldn't figure out. Yeah, fast. Yeah. Uh, but I couldn't figure out how to roll that into a metaphor. But uh, I'll just talk about how we're getting synced with Alex from ZK Sync today. Awesome. We we'll definitely want to get in sync on ZK Sync, and that is coming up for you. We're going to get to Alex in just a moment, but before we do, we want to talk about the sponsors that made this episode possible. Slingshot is a decentralized trading platform that combines the performance and ease of a centralized exchange with the openness and transparency of DeFi. Slingshot aggregates liquidity from all of DeFi in order to find the best price on thousands of crypto assets. Every token on Slingshot comes with a price chart and trade logs to give you insights into the market's activity in real time. Slingshot is available on Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism, saving you from the high gas fees and low transaction speeds of the Ethereum L1. There are no fees to trade on Slingshot, and any positive slippage is given to the users. Trading on Slingshot Slingshot is a social experience. You can even set your chat avatar to your favorite NFT or soon a Slingshot 2099 NFT avatar. Once you bridge your assets to Polygon, Arbitrum, or Optimism, go to app.slingshot.finance to trade and use the chat box to share your trades with others and find other tokens to ape into. The Brave browser is the user-first browser for the Web3 internet with built-in privacy and ad blocking to keep you in charge of your digital footprint. Inside the Brave browser, you'll find the Brave wallet, the first secure crypto wallet built natively inside of a Web3 crypto browser. Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. The Brave wallet is different. Brave wallet is built natively inside the Brave browser, no extension required, which gives the Brave wallet an extra level of security versus other wallets. With the Brave wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap your crypto assets, and you can even manage your NFTs and connect to other wallets and DeFi apps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to switch to the Brave wallet. Download Brave at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. Over 250 projects have already deployed on Arbitrum, and Arbitrum's DeFi and NFT ecosystems are growing rapidly. Arbitrum increases Ethereum speed by orders of magnitude for a fraction of the cost of the average gas fee. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of decentralization and security. If you're a developer who wants low gas fees and instant transactions for your users, visit developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building your application on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps or NFT projects building on Arbitrum. Many of your favorite apps are already live, with many more coming over soon. You can find these apps at portal.arbitrum.one, and you can bridge your assets over to Arbitrum using bridge.arbitrum.io in order to experience DeFi and NFTs the way it was always meant to be. Fast, cheap, and friction-free. Hey guys, we are back with Alex Glukowski. He's the co-founder of Matter Labs. Matter Labs is the team behind ZK Sync. That's what we're going to talk about today. The ZK roll-up that is pioneering a ZK EVM just went to testnet. Want to hear all about that. Matter Labs is really uh, special, I think, for bankless and for those who are decentralization maximalists um, because they've been uncompromising on many things, including open source values. This is also why we're excited to bring Alex on bankless. Alex, it's great to have you on bankless. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, David. It's an honor. Uh, you know, Alex, we want to start because we understand that um, a large part of the team or part of the team of Matter Labs is actually located, it has been located in Ukraine. Uh, how's everyone doing? G give us an update. Is everyone safe? What's what's happening? 
Yeah, so obviously everyone is uh, uh, in a lot of stress uh, because we have a really large part of the team in, in both Russia and Ukraine. And we were lucky we managed to evacuate most of our Ukrainian team in safe places, mostly abroad, uh, before that happened because we are a security uh, first company. We, like Security is, is the, the, the paramount concern that matter labs is kissing. And uh, we live by the motto, uh, only the paranoid survive. And when the rumors appear that the situation might escalate, we just thought we can take risks. Like, the history is full of black swans. And uh, if um, things happen, you know that it's going to be really, really difficult to, to do anything. But it, it's really cheap to get a team on a few weeks vacation abroad. So we decided we, we should go for this, even if the probability is very low. Unfortunately, though, a lot of team members have family members in, back in Ukraine, and some of them are trying to evacuate them. So yeah, there, there is a lot of stress going on. It sounds like a very stressful time. We we are glad that um, you, you guys were able to make some provisions and keep everyone safe uh, during this time as well. Alex, if you're okay with it, uh, we want to talk a bit more about Ukraine. Understand you're born in Ukraine, you have some personal experience there. Uh, also, in the world of crypto, of course, you are here for reasons of uh, values alignment with with what we're doing in the space and decentralization. So I think we want to talk more about that maybe toward the end of the episode. Would you be okay with that? Absolutely. We'll be happy. Okay, awesome. Well, let's do that. Uh, first, we want to get into some of the recent events and news from a technology perspective, which is this. And this is very big. This happened last week, I believe the ZK EVM on testnet. Okay, this is something I think the, the crypto community thought was um, years away. In fact, as recently as a year ago, when we had Vitalik on the podcast, uh, we talked about the future of rollups and scalability, and he was very optimistic about uh, ZK rollups, in particular ZK EVM rollups. Uh, EVM stands for the Ethereum Virtual Machine, of course, which allows all the programmatic DeFi magic that, that people experience on Ethereum. Um, but he thought at the time that would be years away, like years plural, you know, maybe three to five. And here we are one year later, and you guys have just released an EVM ZK rollup on Testnet. Uh, was this a you know, surprise development. Tell us about what was actually released and how you were able to deliver it maybe ahead of what a lot of people uh, thought was going to be the schedule for this thing. Uh, absolutely. It was not just Vitalik's prediction, but actually an opinion of a lot of top crypto cryptographers in the world that this will take a lot longer to deliver because of inefficiencies of uh, zero knowledge proofs for general computation. Their knowledge proofs are, uh, you know, you have to convert your program into specialized arithmetization form, like essentially in some mathematical representation of this program. And it only works uh, well if your program is, is fixed and well-defined. But with generic computation, we have loops, we have recursion, we have uh, all the Turing complete um, flexibility. We can build any programs. Uh, and it, it just doesn't convert well. Like you have a lot of overhead when you're trying to represent this flexibility in terms of pure mathematical function. You can imagine like huge polynomial mathematical function. So, uh, and everyone thought, well, this has to stay. So we just have to find better ways to, uh, uh, you know, to be more efficient with proving, with overcoming this massive overhead through maybe more efficient hardware, maybe more efficient proof systems and so on. Uh, but what we did uh, was we, we just realized there can be 
there, there are shortcuts to make and they will compensate for this huge inefficiency in, in interesting ways. So what we realized is that Turing complete part uh, of the program uh, is only gonna take maybe 1% of the entire computational power that we need, uh, while most computations will be spent on like heavy specialized operations, uh, which include hashes, storage access, and so on and so on. So what we did, we built a hybrid product which um, combines this flexible part with the rigid part. And the rigid part is well optimized and we, we knew how to do this. And there was a number of uh, breakthroughs also in the crypto uh, cryptography around technology proofs. So this combination gave us this breakthrough which allowed it to, to deliver uh, technology much quicker. So Alex, let me uh, regurgitate that to make sure that, that I'm, I'm following because uh, uh, as much as I like to think that I understand zero-knowledge cryptography, uh, it's not really my strong suit. And I would imagine that's probably true, true for the listeners. So, so you talked about two components of a ZK EVM that um, uh, are really needed to have a fully-fledged, fully expressive um, roll-up that has all the composability that we all enjoy uh, in DeFi. Really, the thing that really makes DeFi power, powerful is its composability. And uh, making sure that we retain composability in a ZK EVM, on a ZK roll-up, is a tough challenge. Uh, and you talked about how there's the expressive, flexible side, and then there's this the other side of things that are, I think, just always the same, something like uh, signatures or things about... Um, uh, a roll-up that just like don't change, but are necessary and rigid and always there for all the roll-ups. Um, and so you've been able to compartmentalize these things. And the things that don't change, you've been able to extremely, extremely optimize. And then that's been able to, for you to uh, separate or compartmentalize away from the flexible things and allowing you to maybe tackle these two problems separately, uh, simultaneously. Is that a, a fair way to put this? Uh, yeah, you can think of it as uh, imagine a computer which can which has a CPU which can execute any program, and then you have some specialized uh, micro schemes for digital process, like a, a let's say a GPU for specifically for graphic processing. It can do one thing, but it can do it really really well and much more efficient than the CPU. And CPU is very generic; can execute any program arbitrarily, but it's it's slower. So this is the kind of analogy we have here. Um, and for, for uh, as far as composability is, is concerned, if we can express an arbitrary program, an arbitrary Turing complete program, then we can do anything EVM can do. So we, including composability, composability. It's, it's not some unique special case. So what, 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 what's really important also in this regard is that we should be able to execute programs of arbitrary length and it's, it's a little bit hard with SNARKs because they have a limited proving capacity, but we use recursion, which was one of the breakthroughs I mentioned, where we can combine, we can have a lot of um, circuits of limited size, but we, we pile them together in a line and then we recursively prove them uh, with multiple layers until we get one single SNARK, which attests to the validity of the entire execution of the block. So with this particular design of a ZK EVM, would you say that this is uh, like the end state of um, 
or the end goal of a ZK EVM? Or do you think that further designs and further iterations will actually change the, the basic fundamental primitive? Or do you think that this is the, the design structure that we're going to go with for the foreseeable future? I think the design structure, the, uh, the, the architecture, the, the big picture is going to remain roughly the same. Mm -hmm. There are a few things which I expect to, to change. So first of all, I, I have to clarify that when we say ZK EVM, it doesn't really mean that the, uh, we execute EVM bytecode. Uh, what we execute is the virtual machine um, uh, bytecode, which is optimized for zero knowledge proofs. And we have a compiler from Solidity and from Viper which uh, and and from like uh, in intermediate code like any any other languages, uh, going through LLVM, which is a very um, optimized, very well known compiler platform, um, compiling into this zkVM bytecode, and then we execute this efficient bytecode. Uh, so LLVM actually allows us in the future to uh, to integrate um, other like most modern languages from Rust to C to GoLang to Python whatever. All of them have front ends for LLVM, and then we, we we can reuse those front ends and then use our backend to produce the the resulting bytecode. So, if people will find other languages uh, to be more useful for specific tasks in the future, then they will be using those. Um, and generally, I, I also think that in a in a in a further future, we will switch from pure snarks based on Plonk to uh, to something fully transparent. Uh, that doesn't require a trusted setup, but generally the architecture I expect it to, to remain roughly the same. Well, opening up the design space for developers to uh, to make it life easier for developers is, of course, crucial for building out ecosystems. Uh, so we're going to definitely talk about that later in the show. One, one last question before we get into some uh, back to some of the basic stuff about uh, the testnet: Is this zk syncs breakthrough? If, if breakthrough is the right word, is this zk syncs breakthrough or is this uh, just kind of shared knowledge? Like, is, is this your guys's victory here with like what you the design pattern that you've discovered? Or how is this uh, design structure being shared around just the, the greater zk rollup uh, ecosystem? Uh, I think it's a general approach. It's uh, it, it lies on the surface. So uh, we independently came to it uh, from uh, guys from from Starcraft, for example. But we are building on the shoulders of giants. We we are using the pattern of uh, Tiny RAM, which was uh, introduced uh, actually by by founders of of Starcraft also uh, a few uh, years ago. Uh, but then uh, we we are using this like we invented this approach of combining the uh the heavy and and the flexible parts together i think independently from from other teams but i i can confirm because i don't know what their decision process was okay alex so uh tell us uh what is here today in the here and now with the zk sync 2.0 public testnet release which is a zk is zk evm on testnet so what is this uh the the subtitle is the ZK EVM has arrived, the first EVM compatible ZK rollup on Ethereum's testnet. So what does this look like in practice? How mature is it? And then, uh, you know, after this, the question we're about to ask is uh, when mainnet, but first tell us what's here now. Uh, well, what you have now is a separate testnet where you can deploy smart contracts written in Solidity. Uh, and you can interact with them using Web3 API, which you normally use with uh, uh, other Ethereum dApps. So it looks very similar to other L2s uh, and, and side chains that people are currently using to, for scaling. Uh, 
just that it's based on ZKVM technology. So how mature is it? Is it uh, we, the, the, this announcement is about the opening the testnet to the public. It's been running in private for quite some time. We had teams building on it and we were collecting feedback uh, and, and fixing problems. So we wanted to release something to the public that is more or less uh, mature and, and people are not having uh, children's diseases. So Alex, what are the goals of this test net? Are you trying to get developers to like try and break it or are you just allowing them to get a feel for what it's like to build on a ZK EVM? What are you looking to get out of this test net? It's, well, we're just offering people to, to start building because the interface won't change. The interface will only be extended by certain things, uh, which, which are clearly documented in, in, in our docs, uh, but the basics will just work. So we wanted to show that you can take your existing code and deploy it without modifications or with only minor modifications. Um, and it, it's really important that you can reuse your code bases across L1 and, and different L2s, and you, you don't have to worry, you don't have to rewrite everything completely from scratch. You can rely on existing security patterns, which you understand well. You can use code uh, bases that have been heavily audited. Uh, it, it will all just work. Uh, and yeah, we, we intend to release the, the mainnet as soon as uh, the testing shows mature and, you know, like everything around uh, the uh, full specification is fully implemented. So, uh, Alex, can we talk about that for, for a minute? So say I'm an, uh, a DeFi app developer and I have something I've, I've wired up in Solidity. It's working on the EVM right now. Maybe that same uh, Solidity app, I've now ported that to like um, Polygon, for example, their, you know, their proof of stake uh, network. Maybe I've, I'm trying to port that to you, uh, Arbitrum and Optimism as well. If I take that code and I tried to deploy it on the ZK Sync testnet, how much modification is, is really required there? Because my understanding is that there, there's like degrees of the modification that, uh, that is required. And could you contrast that with um, may, maybe uh, what something like Starkware uh, requires a, a developer to do to, to port their application? Absolutely. So the degree to which you have to, to make modifications depends on what your program is using. Uh, if you are, uh, if you have just generic code, most likely you will not need to change anything. We support most things, most uh, primitives, including creating contracts, create, create to, uh, you know, like hashes, all the, all the Ethereum hashes, which by the way, translate to the same, you know, like we actually, like if you, if you use Ketchup, it, it's going to produce Ketchup hash. If you use SHA-256, it's going to use uh, SHA-256. We're not replacing them under the hood as previously uh, was thought of that we will need to. Uh, so uh, there are a few things that are just not supported yet. So if you rely on them, you will either have to wait or you will have to circumvent, uh, circumvent those parts of code, replace them with something different. Those are uh, some certain cryptographic primitives. So we don't support pairings yet. Uh, we don't support uh, mod, mod operations, uh, although the compiler will soon uh, also uh, bridge that functionality. And um, we don't support native ETH sending and like uh, and, and receiving. So you have to wrap ETH as a um, ERC20 token for now. Uh, apart, um, yeah, so apart from that, everything should work uh, and whatever is not working is clearly documented. 
And could you contrast that with um, Starkware? So, so far, a lot of that sounds similar to some of the optimistic roll-up style um, EVM change that, that we've seen. Um, but how does that compare with uh, Starkware? I mean, I know, I understand they have a different, you know, programming language. They uh, have a instance. completely different programming language, which okay. you have to use from, from like, you have to actually rewrite your code from scratch in that language. Um, they have a, a transpiler, but I, I'm not sure to what degree it's, uh, it's functional. And I, my understanding is that it will produce higher code, which you will have to then manually review and adjust. You cannot just like keep your code in solidity, but maybe I'm wrong here. But in any case, the input for Starkware compiler is code in Cairo, uh, whereas for us it's uh, EVM code. And what's really important, we support the same web-free API as all the other devs. So you, you most likely will not have to change your interface. You will be able to rely on the interface and you will be able to integrate services that or like have integration of services that already implement this web free API, uh, like uh, Etherscan and the graph and, and you know, like a, a bunch of uh, tools that work with EVM um, today on mainnet and on, on different L2s. Uh, and they will just work out of box, which, which is not the case for uh, Chiron as far as I know. I want to just reorient to the uh, the user's perspective here. So, are, are you saying that it could come to pass that your your favorite uh, DeFi application, say an Aave, a Compound, a, you know, a Maker, a Uniswap, you know, same interface you're using on the, the existing Ethereum mainnet uh, with with high gas fees, of course, and then one day you have the option with the exact same interface to use zk sync instead, and it's all you know EVM. Uh, ZK under the hood, and suddenly your gas fees drop from like dollars to cents. And from a user perspective, yeah, you know, it's it's the same kind of UX experience that I've always received, except now there's there's far lower gas fees. Is that the sort of thing that we can expect? I mean, same block explorer, same wallet, same user interface, just lower gas fees? Or is it going to be a bit more uh, incremental and uh, clunky than that? No, it's it's actually the, the exact same user experience. So a big part of that is that we allow people to reuse wallets. So any Ethereum wallets works natively. Uh, and the, the keys are actually kept in the wallet. So you, like when you sign a transaction, you, 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 you just sign it from the wallet. Uh, so that, that's really important. So yes, this allows for the migration of the entire ecosystem uh, on like, you know, on us. So you, you, you bootstrap the ecosystem uh, uh, by default. You don't have to write all of that from scratch. I think uh, Argent is maybe one example of this. With people, are, are they using? Uh, they're using zk sync. I'm, I'm not sure if they're using the uh, zk EVM under the hood. But um, you know, Argent is kind of a, a wallet wrapper that's that's generally been on Ethereum for most of its life, and now it's it's starting to spin up wallets on zk sync. Is that an example of this? Are they using the same infrastructure technology here? Uh, well, uh, Argent is a really interesting uh, example of, uh, so Argent is on the mission to allow mainstream adoption uh, for Ethereum in general, because they solve the problem of security and usability. You don't have to mess with your seed phrase, which is hard for, for most people. Like they, they don't understand security of it. They, you know, like they, they, they have, have never been hacked in their history uh, of Argent. Uh, so right now uh, we integrated Argent with ZK Sync version one, where people can make transfers, can make trades, and can interact with existing uh, 
uh, DeFi contracts on mainnet Ethereum through batches with liquidity providers. Uh, but it's also going to be uh, used on version two, and for, for the users, the experience will remain the same. You you will just have more functionality because you will be able to interact with contracts on it also directly. Uh, so what, when when I say the experience is going to be the same, it's actually not true because the experience is going to be better. So uh, there are a lot of things which will be possible on uh, layer two, which are currently limited in Ethereum. For example, account abstraction. Mm -hmm. So it, it thinks uh, Argent, for example, will work much better on zk Sync than it works on Ethereum. It's going to be a lot cheaper and easier to maintain the code. Um, you will not need uh, relayers. People will be able to interact directly with uh, with the peer-to-peer -peer network to, to propagate transactions. Uh, people will actually be able to pay native gas, not in in just in ETH, but in any token they they transact in. Uh, so it's it's gonna open a lot of possibilities, and and also for for other uh, you know use cases, other dApps that uh, that will do interesting things with account abstraction, with meta transactions, et etc. This is why a lot of people in the Ethereum ecosystem think that the ZK uh, EVM, ZK rollups are going to unlock the golden age of UX for DeFi, which is something that we've just been missing basically since the entirety of DeFi's uh, existence. And Alex, um, uh, uh, one of the properties about optimistic rollups is that they, they, they both, both Arbitrum and Optimism just boast about how you can just take your code and immediately deploy it on an optimistic rollup. And that's one of the benefits of optimistic rollups is that it's just a very low touch transition. And that's what I'm hearing coming out of, of you and, and ZK Sync is that it doesn't actually take all that much work to uh, deploy your code on ZK Sync, which is just phenomenal because we already have so much of DeFi uh, built out on the Ethereum L1, as soon as just being able to copy and paste it and put it on a ZK rollup uh, is, oh, it kind of almost sounds too good to be true. Um, but I, what I do know uh, th that I want to check with you is that uh, while we do have this benefit of just being able to copy and paste and put it on ZK Sync, the developer tooling, I think, still is going to be something that the ZK EVM ecosystem needs to build out uh, because... Um, the developer uh, tooling for building DeFi on the Ethereum L1 has been extremely robust because that's what we've been having. That's what we've had for the last six years. Is, is this a, a, an important conversation when it comes to building out the ZK EVM ecosystem? Uh, how much rewriting and uh, just like rebuilding of the developer tooling needs to be done to truly enable developers to unlock their full potential for building out DeFi, DeFi on a ZK EVM? Yeah, this is a great question. So we, we have to split developer tooling into two categories. One is the tooling around the code itself. And the other one is, is general tooling around uh, smart contracts, deployments, and so on. So the second category is completely covered by our support of Web3 API. So things like uh, Etherscan or the graph uh, and so on will just work out the box. Chainlink Oracle, uh, all, stuff like this? Uh, Chainlink Oracles and, and so on. Yeah, so the, this it will be all provided by default. Now there is a, uh, a smaller part of the developer tooling is like when you have to debug your code, where you have to see what's happening. And by the way, uh, also events are fully compatible with Ethereum. So like, uh, so like everything around the, the where like code doesn't matter will work. Everything what concerns the code will have to be adjusted. But that's a small part, and we're working with teams to uh, to make those changes and to provide. Uh, 
whatever you need to, to make it work. So for example, we built a, an extension of the hardhat plugin um, for ZK Sync to, uh, to just deploy contracts. Like you can use your hardhat um, to test, deploy, compile, uh, build contracts. Uh, and yeah, so like if you tools will have to be adjusted there. How how much of a lift is this going to be? Like on just like can you kind of measure how much work needs to go in in order to uh, provide developers a comparable developer ecosystem to building on uh, zk sync? Uh, as I said, like the, the the tools that are that are missing or need adjustment are a minority, so it, it won't be it won't be much. We expect everything to be fully functional within a few weeks, months from now. Alex, you said earlier that um, you know we're, we're talking about not just the same UX as the Ethereum mainnet people have come to expect, but better user experience uh, potentially in this in this zk rollup enabled world. Um, can, can we also, because this is not something we've talked about yet in the in the show, um, but we've talked about on many Bankless episodes, including our episode on on monolithic versus modular blockchains that people can go back and, and listen to, but can we talk about the decentralization that we're trying to preserve here? It's like, take us a few, a few notches above. Let's, let's go to the higher level and talk about why are we going to all this effort in the first place? Like why ZK rollups in the first place? And what sort of, um, trust assumptions exist in something like the, the ZK EVM? What are, what are we trusting? Versus um, versus other techniques on you know other chains and monolithic layer ones. Talk to us about that. So this this is a really interesting question, which goes to the roots of why we were building zk sync in the first place. Uh, so we started with a very clear mission, and it's still rooted as as the like we are a very very uh, mission mission focused pro, pro, uh, project where uh, we want all the world to go bankless. We want people to have full control over their financial assets and be fully self-sovereign. And that means we need to, to go absolute mainstream. Like we need to be able to serve millions of people, billions of people without limits. Uh, we can only do this if we keep uh, resilience of the network. Like we cannot have centralized entities um, performing, like, you know, it, it, it would not even work physically that we have one entity uh, that controls all of the internet of value, where all of the transactions have to go through the bottleneck of a single server or a few other servers, right? It just, just won't work. So we need to decentralize these things and we need to make sure that they, they cannot be killed by really powerful actors because what we see right now in the world that politics is uh, going way beyond what, what people uh, would um, you know, entrust them with and taking too many um, uh, uh, authorities on them. So uh, we want to keep these limits in, in place. Um, so ZK rollups are the only technology we have today that can allow truly limitless extension of this internet of value. The reason for this is uh, since we cannot have a single cluster where everything will be happening, because we will be limited by a throughput of a single consensus of decentralized uh, nodes or a single peer-to-peer -peer network or a single data availability sharding system and so on, we'll have to have many of those clusters 
and they will need to be able to trust each other and trust each other in, in an objective manner. And when I say objective, I mean like machine to machine, not people to people, because you will have like, like an internet, you have a whole uh, big network of those subnets that interact with each other. So whenever you pass a message in internet, uh, the, the systems on, on the other side of the world can like verify the, the digital signatures, they can verify encryption and see that it's coming from like the, the person or the, the entity that actually produced the message. Uh, with digital, with the word of value, it's a lot harder because we, we are not just passing messages, we're passing value. So we have to trust that consensus mechanisms were enforced in the other subsystems and we preserve the scarcity. So like if you send something from one side, then it actually disappeared on that side and it appeared on, on the other side. And this requires this fully objective way to, to, uh, to check that like you, you can trust the, these other systems. Uh, and this is only possible with your knowledge proofs. Uh, for the reasons that uh, Vitalik uh, explained in, in, in the recent posts about um, bridges, uh, we, we can try to go into them uh, and explain it more technically. Um, but Alex, I, I'm you, curious if, if you agree with the bottom line here, which I've, I've heard described with, you know, ZK, the ZK EVM is, is basically you're trusting two things. You're trusting one, the security of the Ethereum mainnet, and two, you're trusting ZK math, that, that, that kind of cryptography. Are those the two trust assumptions or are there others here? Uh, those are the two trust assumptions uh, with the cryptography. If you rely on trusted setup, you would also trust the, the correctness of the setup, but that's kind of minor and transitory. We expect in, in, in the long run um, to not be required. But yes, you, you trust Ethereum as the settlement layer and the main data availability layer. Uh, and the source of consensus, and you trust the math uh, and and the code that implemented this. Uh, the, this and is there like an with uh, zk sync EVM right now on on testnet? And you know, I still haven't asked about the date of when mainnet, which we'll get to, I promise. Uh, but um, are there any kind of centralized operators in the mix here? Are there any sort of uh, escape hatches? I know many roll-up solutions have sort of left in some centralization vectors on purpose because they are still, you know, testing the systems. How about in ZK Sync? Are, are there still some uh, centralization vectors that um, you have in place in these early stages that you plan to, to take away later on? We do have centralization of the sequencer right now because it's a lot easier and faster to develop. So the uh, all the transactions will have to go to, to the central server and the server then produces the blocks. And this is only for, for a short time until we have uh, L2 consensus running, which will be fully decentralized. Uh, but where we're not willing to take any compromises is the security of the assets. And the security pre the prerequisite for that is that you have this escape hatches. What this means is you should be able to enforce any transaction. So like if you have any money in L2 on ZK Sync, any assets, you should be able to take those assets out if you don't trust the network anymore, if the network becomes malicious, either because the server is compromised or is, is just down and, and is not responding, or if we don't have a server, maybe you have a consensus mechanism uh, governed by, by some community, by some DAO, but maybe the majority of the stakeholders is compromised or 
was subject to malicious uh, takeover. So you, you just don't trust them anymore. You should be able to go to Ethereum as a court of higher appeal and demand your assets be out. Uh, and like this is what we will have from day one on uh, Sync. Uh, and this is actually a big difference from uh, from Starknet. Starknet, uh, for example, they, uh, they they took a decision to implement um, zero knowledge proofs in a slightly different way, and they cannot currently build this enforcement mechanism um, because they cannot prove that a failed transaction failed. They can only prove a successful transaction. Um, so we, we we decided to take additional overhead in the way virtual machine works in order to be able to prove that any transaction, like you made a call to this address, to these arguments, this call was coming from Ethereum mainnet uh, as like in, through a priority queue, which enforces transactions. And then we can prove that here is the outcome of this call. Here is what happened. And like what could have happened is that transaction failed and not, nothing executed. But we will still include this transaction and we will still be able to prove that it's not executable. And uh, for the listeners that are familiar with Arbitrum and Optimism, and, and they they also have centralized sequencers at this at the same time. So zk sync is about comparable with the central the current centralization levels of the other uh, rollups that users might have um, might be have already have already interacted with. And basically, what a centralized sequencer means is just that zk sync, Optimism, Arbitrum are the people that are ordering the transactions in the in the rollup. Uh, and so this is kind of uh, par for the course for where we are in the current state of, of uh, roll-up technology. Alex, I have a, a question here coming out of Justin Drake, uh, and I'm going to have actually have to uh, ask you to help me ask the question uh, just, and understand uh, the importance of it. But he asks, uh, can we ask about the prover cost denominated in either U.S. dollars or gas, and also the prover setup, as in what type of AWS instances they use and, and how many? Alex, wh why is this question significant? and also what's the answer uh it's significant because the it puts some limits on uh on like the, the uh, what the minimum transaction costs uh, will look like and I, I i can share that uh it of course it depends on the type of transactions and on what operations it employs like a single transaction can be uh having a lot of storage accesses and a lot of execution or it can be like something very simple like a token transfer um, but in general, uh, the costs uh, estimates do not differ much from the cost costs on version one. So you can like ZK Sync version one, you can think of the transfers there as uh, uh, you know like using roughly the same computational power as what we will, we will have for like simple ERC token transfers or uh, Ethereum transfers in V2. Uh, and right now, the uh, the basic cost is something like zero point one cent, uh, and and this remains like the basis. So a simple transfer costs this. Now, if your contract call requires multiple transfers and some other logic and some hashing, then it will be added on top of that. Uh, but that that's the proof of costs. Uh, but of course, in rollups, the costs are always um, dominated by the data availability costs. So this is going to be the case for all rollups. We are all using the same Ethereum bandwidth space. We are competing for it. 
So uh, the, the, like, the more usage we'll have in L2 shared by rollups, the higher this cost is going to be. We already see it in, um, you know, like optimistic rollups are not cheap. Uh, ZK rollups are not like not as cheap as, uh, as some side chains because we still have to pay those costs to Ethereum. Uh, but the beautiful thing about ZK Sync is that we actually plan a volition called ZK Porter. So the users will be able to choose uh, how they want to, they, to, to secure their data availability. Do they want their account to live in, in the rollup where they have the full security of Ethereum, just theoretically, like spare box, um, or they are, they are uh, willing to accept certain risks uh, and have their data availability secured by a group of special actors called guardians, which is still pretty secure and uh, and, and like you know like incentive aligned with uh, with um, the interests of the user, uh, but they will pay a lot less. So if a rollup transaction will cost let's say one dollar, then the the, the uh, porter users will pay maybe one cent for. That, that that that's really great, and I think that's helpful. So it, you know, for for bankless listeners, once again, I would refer you to that the podcast, the um, you know, monolithic versus modular design podcast, um, to to make even more sense of what Alex just said. But you know, a, a base understanding is the Ethereum scalability strategy and the modular design is we have three layers. We have we have the consensus layer, the data availability layer. And the execution layer, right? Uh, the execution layer is is what's happening. The data availability layer is, is what's happened. The consensus layer is what's true. Okay, and then Ethereum in this design, the mainnet, uh, remains the consensus layer. What you were just talking about, Alex, is zk sync being an execution layer, uh, and then using zk porter for some data availability, right? And this could this could further reduce the uh, the costs of transactions, and it's it's user dependent whether they want to use Ethereum for data availability or whether they want to use uh, zk Porter for data availability. So that's a whole topic in and of itself, and is super cool. But the net result is two things: one, transactions are about to get a hell of a lot cheaper. Good news for DeFi. And number two, what Alex just said is super cool: is all of the rollups, all of the execution layers, are competing for us right now. You guys are all competing for us. You're competing for DeFi users. That is a great thing, I think, for the ecosystem because it brings a lot of innovation. Uh, Alex, want to ask one more clarifying question on all of this, uh, which is getting released. Um, and th this is kind of a, a roadmap type question. So um, ZK uh, Sync 2.0, uh, the EVM public testnet is live. That just went live last week, I believe. You've already had ZK Sync out in the wild. Here it is on a layer two beat. It has 74 million in total locked value. It's a ZK rollup. Um, can you talk about the difference between the ZK Sync that's out in the live, uh, out in the world today? And like people have used this, I've used this before uh, for payments, for example, and the ZK Sync that you just released to public testnet and the trajectory of, of kind of what's next and, and how that relates. Should we think of the ZK Sync that's on mainnet right now as kind of a 1.0 and this new EVM compatible ZK Sync is sort of the 2.0? Is that the way to think about this? That's absolutely correct. The, the ZK Sync uh, uh, 1.0 was uh, a application specific ZK rollup which you can only use for payments and swaps. And since last summer also for NFTs, uh, but nothing else. You cannot have arbitrary contracts. 
whereas zkSync2 is the full extension of Ethereum where you can deploy anything and you can build the entire ecosystem there. So this is like going from a Nokia 3100 uh, to an iPhone. Well, I think this is the, that's the part of the story that everyone is really excited for. Alex, we have some questions that we still want to ask, such as how we go from testnet to mainnet, when we go from testnet to mainnet, and then, of course, when token. So we got these questions lined up coming for you next, right after we talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you wanna make sure you're getting the best possible price on your trade. And that's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your trade across all the various liquidity sources in Ethereum. And is also operational on Polygon, Avalanche, Binance Smart Chain, and other chains. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pools the liquidity for me in a single easy to use platform and allows me to make limit on-chain orders. So you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. So when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. The Gemini Exchange has been my exchange of choice ever since I got into crypto. I use Gemini to both buy the dips and also manage my regular automatic monthly purchases of my preferred crypto asset. On Gemini, you'll find over 50 different cryptos, including many of the top DeFi and metaverse tokens like YFI and Axie Infinity. Using Gemini Earn, you can earn yield on your various cryptos, including 8% on the GUSD stablecoin. Gemini is available in all 50 states and more than 50 countries worldwide. So if you're looking to upgrade your crypto exchange, sign up at Gemini with Gemini.com slash GoBankless and get $15 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within the first 30 days. That's Gemini.com slash GoBankless. Bankless is proud to be sponsored by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum that lets you trade any token at the current market price. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. The Uniswap Grants Program is accepting applications for grants. Do you have something of value that you think you want to contribute to the Uniswap ecosystem? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at uniswapgrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. All right, guys, we are back with Alex from ZK Sync. We're talking all about the current EVM, ZK EVM testnet. But I want to hear, Alex, about when it becomes the ZK EVM mainnet. So how does that transition look? Are we just going to like wipe the slate clean with a testnet and start from scratch? Or are we going to roll the testnet into a mainnet? How is the transition from test to main going to happen? And then also, when is that going to happen? Uh, so the uh, the testnet from the developer perspective is going to remain uh, the like essentially the same interface as I said. The, a couple of features are coming, uh, but the contracts that are compilable and deployable now will just work. You will not need to, to do any, anything. Uh, we expect one major upgrade of the virtual machine to happen before the mainnet happens. Uh, it's already on the way, so it's a different version of compiler and the virtual machine, which has been developed in like in parallel, sort of. Uh, and um, then just uh, making sure that the, the testnet is is mature and we can cover all the functionality and like you know everything just works. Uh, and yeah, it, it's we, we're not gonna delay it for uh, 
for unnecessary reasons. We have got in our roadmap, we have got all the unnecessary things and we want to get to the mainnet the really as soon as possible in the shortest possible way. And so is this the state of the testnet going to be preserved as in if a developer deploys like SushiSwap or Uniswap on uh, ZK on the, on ZK Sync? And then it and then it goes into mainnet. Is all of the state of the uh, smart contracts and the assets on the testnet preserved into mainnet? Oh no no no! The testnet is testnet. Like okay. think of it as a Rinkeby or Gurley okay. or Coffin testnet for Ethereum. It's a completely separate okay. deployment. So, so it is actually tied to a particular Ethereum testnet. Mm. I think it's now uh, we are on Gurley. Uh, okay. So we actually have a, a deployment of zk sync contract on that Ethereum testnet, which the L2 state is attached to and, and will do it. Cool. So Alex, um, how long are we talking here? Yeah. I mean, there, there's this phrase in uh, you know, the Ethereum world that's uh, that's become popular, weeks, not months, right? Uh, are we talking weeks? Are we talking months here? Are we talking no, we, years? We, we're, we're realistically probably talking months, uh, but like not years, for sure. Okay. It will happen okay. this year. <laughs> Before great. the merge. <laughs> Uh, When's the merch going to uh, be, David? <laughs> when is the merch going to be? Yeah. <laughs> June fourteenth. Oh, no, I did not say that. <laughs> uh, okay, so Alex, I think the other question that everyone really wants to hear is uh, when token. Uh, well, that, that's that's also an interesting question. So we're going to deploy zk sync in stages. In the first stage, we're only going to deploy zk rollup, which does not yet like really require a token. Uh, but the token is really needed for ZK Porter because we need to secure the data with something that has uh, inherent uh, connection to this data. That, like you know, like will will uh, will have consequences if uh, if the data becomes unavailable and, and it's hard to manipulate. So we we yeah uh, we will definitely need token for that, and we will need the token to introduce layer two consensus. Uh, and we also don't want to delay those things, so uh, they are next on the roadmap right after launching the mainnet. So the the token is needed to uh, slash people that do not secure the zk porter appropriately, and then it's also needed to decentralize the sequencer. Are those the two use cases that you just stated? Uh, that's right. Although we don't, we're we're not going to slash individual uh, people securing the data. This is pretty interesting in the key porter you you are never slashed you just like you're taking risks if you don't provide data like um you are only slashed if you are not providing data that you previously agreed to to provide this is very different so you know under normal circumstances you never need to provide this data it's only required in the case when the operator becomes malicious or the, the validator consensus becomes malicious and like stop serving users which hopefully never happens uh, but um, you as a user you actually don't have any consequences you, you 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 should not be afraid of running a guardian node that secures zk sync on your ordinary laptop or or even you know like on a, on a machine in the cloud that you control there is nothing like nothing can go wrong immediately if you are compromised unlike staking in, in normal consensus mechanisms. So is the theorized, one of the theorized uses of the token is to, to val validate the ZK uh, rollup, the ZK sync, uh, and then receive 
uh, compensation or fees from the uh, from the sequencer. And so if you are if you are uh, validating on on zk sync, you get to order the transactions, and then uh, the incentive would be that you get to extract some amount of MEV from the the zk rollup. Is that right? Or per uh, perhaps is that right? So. Yes, if you are a validator in the ZK Sync, then you are the sequencer. Mm -hmm. The validators will be will serve as a collective decentralized sequencer. Uh, and yes, of course, you you get uh, some some fees from the users to uh, to you for this work that you provide. Do you have any details or notes? Because uh, we want these things to be decentralized. Um, but then when we mint this token, it starts off centralized. Do you have any like notes for us on how you plan on uh, or what the theorized plan is from going from a centralized token supply to a decentralized token supply? Uh, so you mean... Um, how are you going to diffuse the token? How are we going to diffuse the token? This is this is a big question, which I'm, I'm not ready to answer now, but it, it must be done in a... Uh, in a, like in a way that that maximizes decentralization, because with data availability, it's um, um, you don't want them, like the malicious majority can can uh, do as much harm as uh, uh, I don't know, comparable to to a side chain. So like you really like it, it's not just about the controlling the sequence of transactions or extracting MEV or something like that, it, it's really a matter of security. And it's really, really important for us to get it in the hands of individual people. And this is why it's important that you can run a Guardian node on a normal laptop, because we expect the, the and, and also you, the, there are no latency requirements. You don't have to be online all the time. You don't have to be online with a super fast internet. Uh, you can just run it on the laptops. We expect a lot of people to contribute to, to actually become validators, just like they run Ethereum full nodes right now, requirements will, will be roughly the same, but you get paid for it, unlike Ethereum nodes. So we, we think the decentralization of the portal will be very, very high. And it must be reflected in the initial distribution of the token, which we'll have to design accordingly. That, that, that is fascinating. I hope Bankless listeners are uh, reading between the lines here a little bit. I mean, we have confirmed the existence of a token. <laughs> it's necessary for the operation of ZK Porter and for uh, the ZK Sync, uh, Sync consensus layer. Um, don't have an answer on when token, of course, which is very difficult to answer, but it, it feels like it's a prerequisite for both of those two technologies. And it also feels like there's great opportunity to get plugged into this ecosystem and start giving the network what it wants. What does the network want? It wants developers, it wants users, it liquidity. wants liquidity, it wants decentralization. Give it those things. You know, start start trying to run some of this infrastructure, run guardian nodes. Um, that's uh, that, that's my footnote, I think, on uh, everything you just said, Alex. There's also this other entity here um, called ZKDAO that um, has recently spun up. Can you tell us a bit more about ZKDAO? What, what is this and how is it related to the, the primary ZK Sync project that we've been talking about so far? Uh, well, ZKDAO is a separate thing. Uh, uh, the, it's a uh, cooperation uh, with uh, BitDAO uh, that pledged to, to support the uh, L2 ecosystem and invest in projects and support projects that are building on, on layer two. Um, uh, and yeah, so it's it's open for uh, as a source of funds for uh, developers, which we encourage to um, to start using. 
And that was uh, $200 million, I think, BitDAO uh, committed to funding the um, ZK DAO with, yep. with $200 million uh, around coordinated milestones. So it's another way for bankless listeners to get plugged in. Go go check out what ZK DAO is doing. I think they're just getting uh, spun up right now. Um, Alex, before we shift the conversation to Ukraine a little bit and, and talk a bit more about that, uh, is there anything else you, you want to tell us that we haven't touched so far that, that you think is super interesting for the community to know about ZK Sync and your plans moving forward at Matter Labs? Uh, I think that the, uh, I, I, I touched on this already, but like it's it's really important to understand that zero-knowledge proofs will be the technology that will enable us to go to this completely limitless internet of value. Uh, and uh, this is going to change um uh, yeah this is going to change the world i think in in the way uh how freedom is promoted and how self-sovereignty is promoted because like literally everyone will be able to get a grasp of those things and like we will see the transformation of social media of everything powered by this technology so um As we shift the conversation, Alex, and thank you so much uh, for for your massive contributions to the space. Uh, you know, on behalf of us at Bankless and crypto, uh, we believe very much in the principles of decentralization, and and you guys are uh, painstakingly building building out those those value systems in, into the code uh, that that you're pushing out there, and you know, it's just fantastic to see. So as we transition the conversation of of Ukraine, I'm just uh, kind of curious to hear a bit more about your your personal story because it feels like you've got um, you got a story in Ukraine, uh, having been uh, born there. Uh, interested to hear about that, and then. Uh, why, why, why crypto became important to you as well? So I guess, first of all, high level, what's your lens on everything that's going on in Ukraine right now? And how do you think the, you know, the crypto story dovetails with that? Does the crypto industry, uh, the technology that we're building, does it offer any, any solutions, any help to, uh, some of the conflict that's going on? What's your take here? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I was born in Soviet Ukraine. Uh, I grew up in Ukraine when uh, I was very small uh, when uh, Ukraine became independent. And I, like the conflict we see now is really a continuation of the tragedy that the country experienced with the Soviet rule. Uh, and like this is direct cause of, uh, uh, like for me, uh, what, what brought me like, this is systematic, the, the root uh, motive that brought me into crypto. Because as a kid, I saw the consequences of the centralized economy, centralized political system playing out on the society where everything collapsed. Um, uh, you know, like, it, 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 not that it collapsed, it's just like it never really worked in the first place. The Soviet Union was a total mess. Like, it was completely inadequate system of governance, uh, economical system where everything was in shortage, like the shops were empty, everything was disbalanced, people were uh, un, like dismotivated, only a few branches that enjoyed a lot of attention by the government, like military got some degree of, uh, you know, like world uh, achievements, but the rest of, of the country was completely in, in shape. So uh, what we see now is like the empire strikes back and wants to take it back like, because the uh, processes in Russia took it back earlier than uh, than what we've seen now. Um, and 
the antidote to this is to give more power to people. Economical power, which will enforce their political powers. The sooner we can get there, the less likely such scenarios on a huge scale will, will actually play. Like you have a single person which is capable of taking decisions that will destroy the world or destroy entire countries uh, because everything is subordinated and you know, highly centralized. Uh, so I, I was, I think, seven when uh, uh, there was a hyperinflation going on in my country where prices would rise by 30% every single day for a period of a year. I saw how that works. Uh, so I was uh, surrounded by people that were highly mistrustful of governments and banks for sorts. And since then, uh, I, I once made a, uh, a collage of um, bank, financial, or other types of like crisis in, involving money uh, that happened in the world ever since then, like almost every year in some part of the world, and sometimes globally, uh, where people could not get money from the banks, where you could see the queues before ATMs, where the economy would stop working, you, like you would get capital controls, you would get mandatory orders to sell uh, foreign uh, uh, fiat reserves and, 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 and stuff like that. Uh, and you, you would see people losing all of their fortunes overnight uh, that they were like, working really hard to get and were hoping to, to pass on to their, to their kids. And, and, you know, like a lot of tragedy, a lot of suffering uh, that all roots down in the way the society is organized. Like freedom is, is lacking because certain groups of interests want to preserve their interests and they're abusing the powers there. Uh, and, you know, like most of the people in the world live under corrupt regimes. They are not living in, in democracies. Um, even if you live in a democracy, you can have a situation like, you know, what we recently have in Canada, uh, where money is being confiscated without court orders, without any, like, any, even like pretext of some legal uh, decency. Uh, so it should be a really, really strong message to everyone. Like it will only stop if you don't let these things to happen. And the way to, to, to not let these things happen is like to have full control, to empower the individual and not some authority that claims to, to work on people's behalf. And this is like, to me, this is all what, what, like, what crypto is all about, starting with Bitcoin and, and then extending with Ethereum, which gave it a lot more powerful um, capabilities to, to build like really, really interesting things and ex expand it like to actually absorb all of the world's finance, all of the world's uh, values in, into this huge internet of internet 2.0, 3.0. Alex, there's been a, a number of just examples of how crypto has been a part of this story. There's a Ukraine DAO that has helped raise $4 million. There's the, the Bitcoin volumes jumping to all-time highs in the Russian ruble due to the devaluation of the, of the ruble. Uh, there's stories of people being able to maintain their wealth as they flee from Kiev and, and other Ukraine stories because of the power of private keys. Are there any stories that you've heard that have stood out to you as... Uh, examples of like crypto really helped here. Is there any, any stories that you've heard that you, you can share with us? 
uh, well, the, the just the donations uh, is 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 a really big powerful thing uh, because it's it's really you know the banking system is not reliable. It, it was already hard to send money in Ukraine for certain things. Like sometimes money comes back. It, it's just like a lot easier uh, for uh, for you to donate. And I actually I spoke personally to the founders of Ukraine now, the Unchain Fund, uh, the people who manage the. Uh, uh, like people from the Ministry of Digital Transformation uh, uh, donations on the uh, Twitter at Ukraine. Uh, all of them are legit to please donate because as we speak right now, there is work going on and people are dying and like people are being bombarded, civil citizens being bombarded. Please, please do something like there are, there are close to half a million refugees now on the borders with um, 20 hours long queues to just leave the country. Not everyone can leave. A huge tragedy, huge humanitarian crisis going on right now. So please donate. Well, we can definitely get those links into into the show notes. I'll do that as you uh, as I ask this next question. Um, do you have any idea how when when we send ether or Bitcoin to the addresses that have been uh, generated and verified by by the Ukraine DAO and, and the the actual Ukraine uh, digital organization? How does that how does uh, the ether that we send or the USDC that we send how does that actually translate into actual help on the ground? Do you actually do you know how those two things are bridged? Uh, yeah, so they either sell it for in Ukraine for hryvnia and send to bank accounts, or just get cash and pay people in cash for the goods that that are needed on uh, on spot, or they sell it abroad on foreign accounts and, and purchase stuff uh, that helps people uh, and and transport it back into Ukraine. Alex, um, I, I'm curious as well. What does the crypto community look like in that part of the world? Yeah, Ukraine. Uh, even parts of of Russia is is it strong? Is it is it robust? Uh, j just in general, um, what does it look like? Uh, well, there are a lot of technological projects uh, coming from uh, Russia and Ukraine uh, with a lot, a lot of Russian and Ukrainian developers because the uh, the mathematical and like the scientific school in Soviet Union was pretty strong because it was necessary for for the defense and uh, military, uh, but like. It, the, the, the good uh, outcome is that we have a lot of smart people who are really well trained in mathematics, programming, and they're building stuff. Uh, there is less crypto, uh, you know, like business crypto products. Like most people who are founders of some projects, like uh, guys uh, from Near Protocol, uh, Solana is partly founded by, by Ukrainians. Uh, a lot of others, they're mostly in the West because. Like crypto is a truly global movement and it doesn't know boundaries and like you, you, people just move around and most people are just nomads in different, different places of the world. As I've put the donation addresses of Bitcoin and Ethereum, which have been verified into the YouTube show notes. So if you're watching live, you can go ahead and refresh the page and the addresses will be there available to you. And they'll also be in the podcast show notes as well. Um, Alex, thank you for, for your perspective and also just sharing everything else with us on, t on today's uh, State of the Nation with, uh, with uh, ZK Sync. So thank you for your time, sir. Thank you, guys. And thank you, all the listeners. It's incredible uh, privilege to talk to you, uh, to talk to folks like Alex. Uh, I'm, I'm saying this to you, uh, to bankless listeners. You know, 
uh, I know we've had many generations of, of freedom fighters. Uh, and Alex, to me, and his team is an example of a freedom builder, uh, which is fantastic. This is truly a technology for the people and by the people, uh, whether you're Russian, Ukrainian, somewhere from the West. Uh, you know, th this is why we're on the, on the bankless journey is for decentralization, for power back to the people, self-sovereignty. Uh, so it's a fan fantastic story to see. Anyway, guys, risks and disclaimers, of course, none of this has been financial advice. It never is. ETH is risky. Crypto is risky. So are rollups at this stage in the journey. So is DeFi. You could lose what you put in. But hey, the world's kind of risky too. So what do you have to lose? I don't know. We're headed west though. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.